Hi, dreamers. Welcome to 2020 in the new episode of the Dope and Dreams podcast. As always, I'm your host, Maddie Limerick. Now, it wouldn't be a new podcast without a slew of terrible technical difficulties. So the episode you're about to hear is our interview portion of The Rescuers Down Under with our amazing, amazing guest, but without the normal history portion from before. So I encourage everybody to be web sleuths and enjoy this episode with our guest, M. Martinez. Welcome back, dreamers. Today, I have a dynamic actress today, Emily Martinez. M, welcome to the show. I'm so, I'm, I'm so excited to have you here as well. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about who you are, what you do, and then kind of what role Disney has played in your life? Okay, so I am an actor, singer, content creator out of New York City. Um, I worked on cruise ships for four years, so I'm back on land. I'm saying my mermaid legs are done. I am like full on aerial when she's like ready to be on land. Um, and yeah, I'm just kind of living that lifestyle, trying to bring that truth of the working actor, especially like non-union actor, like trying to make her way in the world and like what that mm-hmm. lifestyle is like. So I create a lot of videos on YouTube about that. And I try to bring as much, like I said, truth and, um, just insight to people who Mm -hmm. want to know that lifestyle and also help other people and feel um, like I'm trying to empower as many younger people or people our age or even older who want to be in this lifestyle that there are ups and downs, but you can totally get through it and you're not alone in it. And I think that's really helpful for me to know. So I like to be able, I can be able to give that to other people as well. Um, And then for me, Disney, Disney's just always been there. Disney is like always been a staple in my life. Mm -hmm. Growing up with it, especially like being challenged on different things that Disney has created has made me think about Disney in a lot of different ways, but it always has remained this like beautiful golden part in my life that I don't know if I would be the same person if I didn't have it, just yeah. because it did, there are so many stories that have inspired me and have stuck with me in life, and then other stories that um, have really made me want to be a part of that world in some way, and I feel like every time I'm in Disney World, it hasn't been that often, but every time I'm there, I'm like, I feel like a child again, and I feel like I can see life in a simple and more beautiful way, and it's, it's really special. Well, and you just took your husband there for the first time, didn't you? It was I it was Gabe's did. first time. Yes. Uh, that it was, was. It was like I think that was probably my biggest joy was seeing him experience it for the first time, because. I mean, yeah, you can go with, like, nieces and nephews or your child, but there's so much stress on that. Mm -hmm. Like, I just, I I saw so many parents just so stressed out, and it, like, broke my heart. And Mm -hmm. because, obviously, like, kids get hot, they get tired, you know, I totally understand that. But then, like, when you're going with, like, a grown person, and they Mm -hmm. really want, like, they they don't even know what they want. They just want to feel magical. It's like, it was... It was unbelievable how fulfilling it was just to watch him take it all in. Just like he was a kid again, and I felt like I could be a kid with him, and it was it was really great. It was a beautiful moment. I love that. I loved the weeks before you were just asking questions and all these things, and I was like, oh, I'm so excited <laughs> they're getting to do this. I now, know. 
And it changes every time you go, too. I mean, it I haven't does. been in, like, seven years, and I was just like, oh, this fast pass nonsense is nuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, the whole digital fast pass, it's crazy, especially because Disneyland still does paper fast passes. and oh, it's they do. They do. I mean, they have digital ones now, but you can still walk up and get the little paper fast pass. I yeah, went, that's I, that's all it was when I, when I was younger. Yeah, and so yeah. I was like, what is this? I went to Disneyland for the first time in March, and I was like, oh, I can still get a paper fast pass. This is so good. And you can hold on to it. It's like you a treasure can. box. You can, you can. Now, when I approached you about being on the show, you immediately threw out this title. And <laughs> I was so excited because the, the original version, it's so dear to my heart. But this oh, movie so is one of my first with Little Mermaid that I have cognizant memories of viewing yeah. as a child. Yes. And so talk to me about why this movie for you. Ah, Rescuers Down Under. It is so good. I don't I think I'm I'm with you in that I feel like I just don't remember a time in my life where I didn't have this. It's mm-hmm. like this and um um Oh my gosh, what's the one with where he's like little Sherlock Holmes mouse? Oh, Great Mouse Detective. Oh yeah, they're like in the same realm to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's ironic because like I have little mice that live in my apartment now, so it's like they want to still be part of my life. <laughs> they want to make your clothes. They want to make your clothes. You know what? They're just part of the, the mouse society. They're just trying to do good. It's true. It's um, true. But yeah, I mean, I've always thought it was a beautiful film. I've always thought the the soundscape is really cool mm-hmm. um, and I think especially since um, on our cruise ship work that we did we were able to go to Sydney we were able to spend time in Australia so we watched it a lot while we were out there and we just kind of felt like we were in the world a little bit more and I've just I mean I've always loved I'm sure we'll get into it more but like I've always loved the villain like mm-hmm. the little sidekick villain Joanna mm-hmm. she's like my spirit animal um, and and um, and yeah, I just I always just love the concept, and the original one was so beautiful. But mm-hmm. there's something about the uh, this one, the Down Under one, that just has always stuck with me. It's so fun, and I realized today it's an mm-hmm. hour long, and they pack so much into an hour. It is. It's like 71 minutes, and it is the shortest Disney film um, animated. It is the shortest animated film, not by much. I think there's one that's like 75 minutes or wow. 77. There are a couple that are close to this, but yeah, they pack so much into this film. But what I think is interesting is we don't see Bernard and Bianca for the first time until 15 minutes in. But then they don't make communication with Cody in this until minute 56 out of 72. So really, Bernard and Bianca are only in about 18 minutes of this movie with Cody. Because really, Cody is the, like, protagonist of this movie. And we'll get more into his character later because I found out some interesting things while... I was researching in true Disney fashion make me uh, uncomfortable, but oh, really? we'll talk, oh oh, we'll talk about it. Yeah, we'll get there. So what's interesting is the other night, um, and you even commented on this post, I was re-watching the movie, I had friends over, and a meme came across my Facebook feed that was like the only true Disney princess, and it was just a bunch of pictures of Joanna. <laughs> and I was like, one, the universe is weird, two, Facebook knows exactly what I'm doing. Oh, yes, but what it's was really <laughs> what was really funny was like you and a bunch of other people were like, oh my god I love her so much and then but a bunch of people were like what movie is this I don't ever remember this what is this and I was like what they need to know what they need need to to know know. spread the gospel of Joanna um (laughs) 
but like, okay, you know, all I thought of was now I just want to, I want a meme of the Joanne Lady Gaga record cover, but it's like Joanna in the pink hat uh-huh. instead of Lady Gaga. Maybe oh I'll gosh. Photoshop that together later. Someone but, please um, create this and we'll make but, it a t-shirt. Oh, we will. Oh my God. That's a great idea. But okay. So, so why do you think this movie is in a little pocket of not quite being as well remembered as other movies of the Disney Renaissance? You know, I don't know. Maybe it's because it, it didn't have that classic, um, you know, it didn't, I mean, it doesn't have that kind of classic Disney form as, um, princess needs help. Uh, you know, slightly undeserving man to become deserving saves her. Um, it's it's a team. I, that's what I think I love about it. It's like it's a team that like never take um, anything except their job and their duty to help the less fortunate. And, um, and that's their main goal. It's not, I mean, yeah, there's a little love thing happening, but it's, they always have their mindset on, mm-hmm. on their mission and that doesn't happen a lot. I mean, I think it's happening more in Disney now, but at that time, was this early, was this late eighties that this came out or early uh, 1990, 90s? it was 1990. Yeah. So that, that, I just feel like that wasn't as common. And so maybe the fact that it wasn't like this, you know, princess that needed saving, you know, maybe this just kind of fell by the wayside and kind of has more of a cult, cult classic following. But I mean, I think it's just, it's just so sweet and it's such a great story. And it's, I feel like it's even more about friendship than, um, than about anything else. And I don't know. Yeah, so I don't know why, but it's it's definitely one of those cult classic ones, I think. Yeah, and I also it they it was only the second Disney movie animated movie to not feature a musical score at this point. Mm. Um, you know, there are other ones where people don't sing, but uh, like Tarzan, but it still feels like a musical because of the Phil yeah. Collins score. Exactly. Um, That's true. But yeah, this was the only time, and now they you know they sing a little bit incidentally, but like um, you know the villain does it. Uh, you know, it's a kind of an outback song or whatever, yeah. but um, but there's no musical moments, and it's a direct flip because the original movie is structured like a musical. It is structured more like an original Disney film, and they wanted this one to be like an Australian action film. Um, and so, I do think what's unfortunate for them for this movie is that it was wedged between Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. Oh my gosh, yeah, because and Little so, Mermaid brought everything back, didn't it? Like, everything back, yeah. Well, they started with Great Mouse Detective and Oliver and Company, but then, right. but then. Little Mermaid launched the Disney Renaissance. Um, but this is one of like two movies that like when you look at Disney Renaissance, this and a Goofy movie are mm. not included in the list of Disney Renaissance films. Like, and I love Goofy movie. Oh, I love it so much. I love Goofy movie so much. Um, and but, it, you know, it's just kind of interesting to think about. And a lot of it, too, was this movie actually broke so many boundaries because this was the first Disney animated film that was done, or the first animated film period that was completely digitally animated. I mean, and you can see it too. Like you can see it. That and opening the, sequence. Oh, as they're going through kind of the rolling, the rolling hills, and I oh. think just like the grandness of like flying with the eagle. And mm-hmm. while we don't have as much depth as we do now, um, I mean, this was also the first full relationship between Disney and Pixar. Di- Pixar literally created the 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 program that they use. I am shocked. Um, 
didn't yeah. know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this was there. For, and if you look at um, in the credits, there's a Pixar section and there are five people credited. And Pixar was a tiny, yeah. co- tiny, tiny company. But it's funny to think that this was 1990. In 1994, I believe, is Toy Story. So mm. it happens in those four years. I know. But, like, it's, um, I talk, you know, we talked about this a lot when we were rewatching, and a lot of my friends had never seen it. Um, and for me, it's probably been about 20 years since I saw this film, uh, 15. And so it was really nice to revisit. Um, but it still looks hand-drawn. Even though it's digital, yeah. it still has those beautiful rough edges, and there's just a beautiful simplicity to it. Um, but a lot of people, looking back and reading articles, including like filmmakers of the time, thought it looked flat and lifeless. And I just oh, don't I understand disagree. how I don't understand how anybody could see that because there yeah. was so, so much depth. There's oh. so much use of color and line, even though it's a really um, subdued palette. And mm-hmm. things, but like, there's just so much that the the shadows are shadowier and the lights are brighter, oh, and yeah. just also they pop this movie out really, really quickly. Yeah. Um, it, it didn't take them that long, and that was part of the digital because they were able to go in, draw, and then go, oh, Cody needs a red shirt. Oh, no, no, Cody needs green shirt. Or and you know, it was post production was so much faster for them. But what I do find interesting is that this was not originally supposed to be the first Rescuer sequel. Really? What else was there? What was Oliver and Company was originally the first sequel of The Rescuers. Okay, I could I could see that. I could well, see how and that then idea they complete, would work. They completely flipped the script and completely took all the mice and stuff out of it, yeah. and then decide, and then it became Oliver and Company as we know it now, which was Oliver Twist. Um, mm. And yeah, there were several different ways that like The Rescuers were supposed to come back, but this was also the first uh, Disney animated sequel that we got off of an original property. And so it had only been 13 years from the original, but a lot changed between 77 and 90. Oh, yeah. Um, But I don't, you know, I kind of want to flip back to this, but I don't understand how people could have seen this and gone, oh, this isn't impressive. It's flat. It doesn't look as good as Little Mermaid. No, like that whole opening sequence, like, hyped me up. I'm not mm-hmm. going to lie. Like, I was watching mm-hmm. it this morning, and I was like, oh, yeah, go, go, mm-hmm. go. Mm-hmm. And also, I think, I think even... I mean, I love The Little Mermaid, but I think just you mentioning it now and that it was digital, like, I hadn't even, I didn't even put that together that the whole thing is digital. Like, when you're, when they're falling into waterfalls and going up through the sky, like, you feel like you're in it with them. Mm-hmm. And for, and I'm watching it on, like, a small laptop and I'm feeling that. Like, mm-hmm. I can't even imagine seeing that in a space of a gigantic screen. And at mm-hmm. that time, like, that's that's a huge thing for a cartoon that you know was mm-hmm. only seventy minutes is able to produce, and I think I think it does it better than Little Mermaid, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, and I think you could tell that the creators at Disney Studios and Disney Animation at the time, specifically Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was running it, was more invested in an action film than in like a girl's princess film, because mm-hmm. that came up a lot during the Little Mermaid, and they, you know they were being made at exactly the same time, um, and so. I think it was obvious that they were more invested in making a adventure film. Yeah. Um, and especially because they were vying on the, like, Crocodile Dundee success and and that Australia was this super exotic place that mm-hmm. adventure happened in. And I think it's, like, Disney never had an adventure film like this before. True. And I think it, you know, Don Bluth had left, had left Disney and it started creating movies like... Um, 
Fievel, uh, The American Tale, mm-hmm. and Land Before Time, and Anastasia, which Anastasia hadn't quite come out yet. But those were kind of these epically large adventures Absolutely. that I think Disney had then finally found this moment of being able to capture this idea of an adventure for the first time yeah. in an animated sector. Because Black Cauldron is an adventure, but it's fantasy, and it did so poorly. Yeah. That, I, I um, don't even re- like, I know I've seen Black Cauldron, but it's so out of my mind that I don't even really remember what it was about, to be honest. Well, in <laughs> July, in July, we'll be doing an episode on it for its 35th anniversary. Ooh, well, I'll just have to tune in and learn all about it. Everyone will have to tune in. You will, because Black Cauldron and I both turned 35 this year, so I think <gasps> it'll be fun to do oh, that. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, so I think I think that's one of those things where they were so worried about how well this movie was going to do and they got nervous. Mm. And actually, what's funny, opening weekend, this opened the same day as Home Alone. Oh, my gosh. In theaters. Of course people wouldn't know, know about we're it. planning. I mean, yeah. okay, the, that same thing's about to happen again. This is a little deviation, but it's kind of Disney. Star Wars, the last Star Wars movie is about to come out. Right. The same... Cats is also trying to release its movie the same day as Star Wars. What's wrong with them? What's wrong with them? For I just if anyone's out there listening. I'm rolling my eyes. As you know, I, you know, it's one of those things. It's like when you know that far out, then another movie that's probably going to be a successful family film of a holiday, mm-hmm. adjust by a week, yeah. take whatever hit you have to, because like Absolutely. they they only made about four million dollars the first weekend it was open. Now for me, four million dollars is great. I'll That's a lot it. of money. I'll take it. But for a um, film, mm-hmm. but for a Disney Disney film, it was not, and especially because Home Alone did a lot more than that. And so, but instead of deciding what they needed to do, which in the past Disney's pulled it from theaters and then re-released it a little bit later, like this might have actually been a great winter film to release, or making oh, it yeah. a or making it a July blockbuster. To me, seems like a much. It's not a Christmas movie. No, now I not say at all. that. No, I say that as Frozen Two is about to be released, um, and uh, that is definitely an action adventure with the princess musical. Right, but, um, it, but it also is set in a time where it's like mm-hmm. you feel like you're in the winter. You know, you, yes. you can you can leave yes. going up. Cold and as the bottom of me. It cold as the bottom of me anyway. Oh, and so you know, it's one of those things that I think if they had just judged, but instead they pulled all the marketing money from it. So the movie was still in theaters, but it wasn't being advertised on TV. Uh, it wasn't being advertised before other movies. And like, how is your movie supposed to do yeah, well? There's no way. I think this is the second lowest grossing Disney film there's ever been animated. I mean, it still made twenty six million dollars without any marketing, which that's pretty good. Isn't bad. I mean, frankly, and it's nineteen ninety. The economy's doing okay. We're doing pretty okay coming yeah. out of the eighties. I don't think Operation Desert Storm had started yet. And so, um, but you know, it's one of those things that, like, I just, how. It's how can like you they be were so, setting it up for a disaster in a way. How, how can you be so rash to pull that back? Now, a lot of what happened too was the weekend happened, the reviews happened, and it didn't do well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's It's got an aggravated or aggregated total score of 69% now on Rotten Tomatoes and so that's over time that does include yeah. that does include the original reviews but then also reviews that have happened since then um, but it's 69% for fans and for critics which for fans that's a little surprising to me because normally mm. the fan score is about 10 to 20% higher critics I get it but the critics didn't like the digital animation and I know we keep going back to this but I don't 
I don't get how you can, because like for me, some of the best scenes in the upcoming Disney Renaissance films have the assistance of Disney, uh, of digital cells Mm -hmm. and like, there are no hand-drawn cells after Little Mermaid. Everything is, you know, which you can see in Beauty and the Beast that the the scene in the ballroom yeah. is so dynamic and going through the forest is so dynamic because we have that digital assistance. Um, but honestly, you know, normally I don't go, what's wrong with people? But, like, what was wrong with people? <laughs> I don't. Now, yeah. now, while the movie is at a clipped pace, much like Grace Mouse, Great Mouse Detective, I believe is 75 or 78 minutes. Um, and so it's a very clipped pace and it's mm-hmm. very quickly, but I don't know. I still didn't find myself at any point going, I feel there's wasted space I'm in this film. No. Um, and I feel like it's especially cause like in theater we're dealing with now people, don't want to sit more than 90 minutes for a show. Mm. And so when you're thinking about children seeing a movie, yeah. 70, 70 to 75 minutes is probably perfect for their attention span. Cause they probably, what I was thinking today. Um, but I just, I don't, you know, and it was always going through a lot of the reviews. It kept going back to the digital or that like, it wasn't the same as the original. And I was like, well, it obviously wasn't the same as the original. They, they were very transparent about it and not yeah. being the same as the original. Um, but as we talk through this, what stands out in the story for you? That's like really works or is like perfection or just, you thought it was the right way to go as you kind of look through the story. Cause there's a very, it's a main a plot and then just a little bit of a B plot and there's no C plot yeah. at all. Um, what do you think really works for you when it comes to this film? Well, for me, I was I was actually I was chatting with Gabe about it, and I was saying it's really fascinating in such a short movie how I still had the time to care about everyone. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm very much of the mindset where if I care about all the characters or most of the characters, it's a good film to me. It's not always mm-hmm. about the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and since you know from the original film, I immediately cared about Bianca and Bernard because I just cared yes. about them already. Like that was already established. But then every other subsequent character that came in, there was none that I was like, eh, could have done without them. I thought they all each added a little, um, a little bit of flavor to it. Uh, mm-hmm. I wish, I wish Cody's mom had, you know, at least we saw her face. That would have been nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That would have been really <laughs> lovely. Of her, just like her chin when she's, you know, clutching a backpack. Mm-hmm. I'm like, who is mm-hmm. she? Um, but other than that, I just, I really, I cared about everyone. I care. I mean, mm-hmm. I thought to myself, I went, I hope all of those animals and McLeach's like back shed got out. Like what happened mm-hmm. to them? Mm-hmm. You know? So mm-hmm. I, I care about, I cared about all of them. And I think that's what mattered to me. Like I, I particular with McLeach, I would have liked to know more about why he was the way he was. Like mm-hmm. if I had just, even if it's sentence or two as to why, number one, why he's American and, um, hunting in Australia and that's like his livelihood. Um, (laughs) but also, um, I would have liked to know what it was that made him so, um, set on creating such chaos in that world. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think a lot of it is money based obviously. So I think that was probably like all they had, but Maybe to kind of, oh, oh, he's just greedy for money and this is, you know, his way of doing it. But I I would have liked to know more about that. But other than other than McLeach and um, and the mom, I felt like I cared about 
everyone. Like, mm-hmm. I cared about Marahute so yeah. much. So, <laughs> I was like, Marahute? I just, mm-hmm. I just, I was mm-hmm. like, and the fact that Marahute lost her, her partner, and we know that just because, mm-hmm. like, she just mm-hmm. lowered her head. I was like, oh my God, I don't even want to know what happened. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it, the characters say, were, were what made every situation plausible and made me go, yeah, I care. I care so much. Well, and I think that's something that's really important that this movie actually tackles is deforestation, um, mm-hmm. the idea of us destroying wildlife, because like McLeach, it's not even that he's just a poacher, but he is that awful truck yeah. that just destroys things. It's It's got a lot of the same imagery that made Fern Gully really impactful. Yes. Yeah, the, like his truck I looked at and went, mm, someone snatched something from somebody. But it's just, mm-hmm. it's this is that point where we weren't talking climate control, you know, climate change yet. Yeah. But we were talking Save the Rainforests. We were Smokey the Bear. Mm -hmm. And so I remember this was things that, you know, both sides of the political parties were sitting on, whether they believed on it or not, this was a nice diversion tactic at the time to talk about, like, well, the rainforests and the poachers and the endangered species. And and we all remember the um, zoo books and things as kids, those magazines and everything, Mm -hmm. that it it we wanted to care about nature in a way and I think they tapped into that and McLeach kind of represented that idea of like colonialism and capitalism absolutely and so we almost didn't need and they had to give him Joanna to make him even less likable because like she works for him and does what he wants but he still treats her like crap and he treats her awfully um, and you know it's Disney always does that thing where you need one or two uh, characters for plush sales and in this movie there's a lot of opportunities for plush sales Absolutely. Um, but like I always meant man as a kid I wish I'd had a Joanna plush or something I still like as an adult wish that. I know you know sh- shop Disney if you hear me out you, keep making, <laughs> you made Oliver and Company plush last year give us a Joanna plush oh, give us the Joanna we deserve just, come on just, just give I would love to see Joanna pop back up somewhere I don't know I don't know where she popped back up but that'd be fun she could have um, like rocks that are not quite eggs that she could mm-hmm. like bite onto yeah great yeah well you know we'll, we'll we'll put a little book in and that I want to well, I want to circle back around <gasps> to that in a little oh, bit yes. but um I think you know I do think I think that is something that they were also whether they were doing it intentionally or not it was a nice dialogue at the time to talk about like what poaching is and what it was doing and it was yeah. a way to have a conversation with children Though I do remember being heavily, not scarred, but, like, traumatized as a child. The moment that he fires that, like, the missile net at her and wraps her up, I was so traumatized. I was like, that Um, exists? That's terrifying. Well, and I just, something I love is that, you know, while Bernard, Bernard and Bianca were there to save Cody... If Joanna hadn't been there, Cody wouldn't have needed their help. Joanna's the only thing that got in the way of him escaping with the animals. Yeah. So, like, honestly, Cody's a really capable protagonist. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's a baby action star of the time, so he represents, like, a nine-year-old version of, like, Mel Gibson or or, um, (laughs) Bruce Willis at the time of those characters. He was a tiny crocodile like Dundee. Um, And so, you know, I think... I do think this is back when this was obviously marketed for, like, boys as an action film. And Bianca was there to, like, soften it. Where Penny, in the original film, needed their help in a way that Penny was not 
helpless, but she was in such a situation where she could not save herself. Right. And Cody can save himself. So it is interesting still that, like, at points looking back now, I go, well, maybe they had Bernard and Bianca so that it could loop into the Rescuers franchise, but they... I love them, but at times it seemed a little jarring because they're so old world Disney, mm. and this was so new world Disney. Um, especially knowing that, like, this is uh, Ava Gabor's last film oh. before she passed away in '95. So um, but like, Bob Newhart's still alive, so we'll also put a pin in that. Come back yeah. around to that. Um, but um, yeah, I think I think Cody's a really interesting character for that reason. Um, but honestly, there's not a ton of things that I would change about this film from a script standpoint um, other than maybe Cody's mom would have been really nice to yeah. have her um, and or you know maybe his dad was an anti-poacher and so he would go out and try to take out these poachers and there was a little connection yeah. between Cody and McLeach anyway like maybe McLeach is how Cody's dad died mm-hmm. and that's why he connects with, with the bird is because her partner also was killed by McLeach but, you know, that's that's me now really nitpicking a story yeah. that I, you know, th- those moments I think would need another 15 or 20 minutes of film. And that was just very expensive for them. And, I'm, you know, ultimately didn't work out for them. Right. Then um, is there anything that maybe you would have tweaked or you'd want to see done just a little bit different out of the story? I mean, it's always kind of that with Disney. It's like I just would have liked to know the mom a little bit more. Mm-hmm. The, we mm-hmm. only get, you know, be home for supper. Mm-hmm. And that's it's like Cody be home for supper. And those, those are all the only words that we hear her speak. And, and the fact that we just don't even, you know, it just, it kind of makes her out to be that she's a mother that doesn't pay attention to her child, you know, Mm -hmm. and especially in the outback, in the, in the jungle. And there's no one around. There's There's no no one around. around. Um, I'm like, who's he playing with? Like how you should know who he's playing with till supper. No wonder his friends are a koala and a kangaroo and some wall and, some mm-hmm. pastel wallabies. I don't know. They're all very cute, though. Very Adorable. cute. But, you know, it's, I, I recorded a Peter Pan episode yesterday, and, you know, we talked about this when looking at Wendy, Tiger, Lily, and Tinkerbell, and Mrs. Darling to a point. Mm. Disney still hadn't rationalized how they look at female characters, and yeah. I think it's really evident. Also, because Bianca, while delightful, and, like, I connect with Bianca on a very, you know, very spiritual level. She's just fabulous, and whatever, darling. It's not a problem, darling. She's very, she's very <laughs> Edna Mode before Edna Mode. She's like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, Everything's it's, gonna work um, out. And, and Bernard is, like, sweet and bumbling and nervous, but, like, they're still using women in these archetypes where they're developing the men in a really interesting yes. way. Yeah, they're, and the, they're the clutch to bring the men up. Yeah, yeah. And so I think they literally needed, you needed a single mother for you to care about Cody and why he's this ragtag hero. It's in the same way that, like, you know, they worked really hard to write Aladdin's mom out of the script. Like, they worked so hard to get rid yeah. of her. Um and, you know, it's, it's, I think we are going to see this change very quickly yeah. over the next few years. I'd say by the time we get to Tarzan, um, that is completely changed because Kala is such a wonderfully fleshed out character. Yeah, um, absolutely. And you, you know, the, it's more than just being a mom or being a woman in many ways. I mean, and now we're, you know, we're Elsa and Moana and some other really amazing characters that like their gender does nothing to define them. Mm-hmm. What they do outside of that really defines them which I think is super important and really cool but I think we're still at that point also I mean and that's just across the board in a lot of 
media at this time. Moms were moms and you needed a mom. And that was part of a woman's journey was that she had to be a mom, which hopefully we're all a little better than that now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Now, there was a kind of um, concerted point from the film division head Jeffrey Katzenberg. I talk about him a lot during this era because it's hard not to because he had no animation experience before he came in with Michael Eisner in 84, 85. And so he was fighting everything that made Disney films work. Now, granted, in the Disney Dark Ages, stuff wasn't working, but people didn't want animated films in the same way. And he insisted on, on this being not a musical, not structured like the original, and it being like an adventure outback film. Do you think this kind of affects how people look at this fitting in with the original Rescuers film, especially because some kids saw this before they saw the original Rescuers film, I feel. Hmm. I don't know. I would think that, especially if kids saw this one first before they saw Mm -hmm. the other one, I think if they saw them both together, they'd be like, those are two very different movies. You know, those are two very different styles. Um, And, you know, just talking, just thinking about even just what we were talking about earlier, it's just the fact that I'm like, yeah, like, I guess if, if I still would like the movie, even if the rescuers weren't a part of it. So it does seem in some areas that it was, um, a bit of a puzzle that they were just putting together to make Mm -hmm. it all fit because yeah, like the original one did have a lot of tender musical moments that, really made you feel the feels while this mm-hmm. one you were kind of up in the front of your seat the whole mm-hmm. time and mm-hmm. like in in the action of it so yeah they are so different in that in that aspect that it does kind of it has a bit of a jarring effect to it well and i, I think it's the rescue aid society as a whole takes a back seat in this one yes where the rescue aid society was at the forefront of the other one um and, you know, for me, it's it's like coming back to old friends every time I see this one because I really like Bernard and Bianca, mm-hmm. a lot of his characters. Um, and Bernard is the perfect everyman. Yes. Like, he's Agreed. just, you root for him so hard. Which in this movie, when you bring Jack in, we haven't talked yeah, about him at all. Right. Also, as like the only Australian actor in the whole film, actually, um, <laughs> Tristan Rogers, who voiced him. You know, Jack is there because they needed another, like, you know, I, don't, I almost said Wild West, but, like, Australian outback character. Like, is it that, weird like, to be attracted to a mouse? Like, I was just like, am I weirdly attracted to I this mean, jacket? I mean, listen, a lot of people out there have said the same thing about Robin Hood, the, the fox <laughs> film. They go, Yo. why do I find him oddly attractive, but, like, he's a fox? Is same thing um, with Simba. You're just like, oh, no. Oh, I have on. a lot of friends who are like, Simba was my first crush, and I was like, I'm not going to take that away from you. I'm not going to take that away from you. <laughs> I'm um, like, oh, gosh, I'm attracted to a mouse here we go oh it's all right i have a friend who who he said his first crush was on ursula so there's a lot to unpack there you know and i think that's you know that's us yeah your first crush has nothing to do with like how you pick a partner later on it's you admire the traits of someone yes and so it's you're you're having a little crush on their character and who they are and so maybe he's a line cub it doesn't mean you're outdating line cubs you know it's it's that thing that you know most people have a disney animated crush as their first crush oh, and absolutely. you know that's that's okay for a lot of you know for, for almost all they're people lying. they're lying <laughs> everyone's got one um you know uh i've got a ton as an adult now like same you know some 
I just anytime I watch Princess and the Frog, and I just go, Naveen can get it. I love Naveen. Um, Absolutely. Just a shout out. Disneyland Paris has the most beautiful Naveen friends that I've ever seen in my life. Uh, There, I follow a couple Instagram accounts that are all Disneyland Paris, and their Naveen, their parade Naveens are so beautiful. That's great. Like I just. It's so, it's so rude because then so I go. Rude. I want to go to Disneyland Paris. Oh yeah, and that's how they know. And here they're we like, are. We're gonna. They're like, we're this gonna is get how you in. <laughs> mm, um, oh, absolutely. But, <laughs> I would you know, be like, uh, one trip to Paris, please. Yeah, and I think it, it's Jack had to be there to give. Um, raise the stakes for Bernard Absolutely, because you yeah. know he was just going to keep bumbling and keep that ring in his pocket otherwise. Yeah, but you know Bernard, Bernard's kind of savage. He's the one that like pushes McLeach over the edge. He doesn't kill him. <gasps> I had an art, I had an article that was like Bernard killed McLeach, and I was like, no, just Joanna. Technically, Joanna. Technically, with that savage wave, did not save him. she was just mm-hmm. like, bye. But like, and I was like, you know, you what? know what? He though? abused you so much, you don't have to do anything for him. You owe him nothing. He don't own you. Um, <laughs> um, but you know, it's 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 kind of that thing of what they did with LeFou in the live action Beauty and the Beast. They're 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 not giving her, you know, they're not giving her her. Oh, she's not evil in the end because you know she's still she's doing what she needs to. Yes, some eggs. Yeah, but like they're giving her that like coming out of a victim's moment and mm-hmm. being able to, like, be strong for herself. And in this situation, it's a lizard. Um, but I think that says a lot about of, of how we can work towards having that conversation about how the sidekick isn't always evil. Yeah, um, it's more like environmental versus... Yep. And in, in some of these situations, you you pick who you're with because you know it's going to be, you know, she knows she's going to be fed and she's going to be safe and protected. Mm-hmm. So why not go with this poacher? Because yeah. he's not trying to kill her. So, but you know, that's like sleeping with the enemy. That idea of like, yeah, it's like I'm going to go a with the per- time. Yeah, and he was ready to kill her at any moment. Yeah. So like, you know, he's one of those really scary Disney villains that not more people talk about because everybody talks about how scary like Clayton and Tarzan and Frollo are because they're real. But mm-hmm. like for me, McLeach is terrifying. Yeah, he's a scary guy. Because he represents all of the actual worst of humanity mm, and like true. why we do what we do. Um, now, again, we talked about how I think this movie did some really beautiful things for the idea of talking about poaching and like hunting animals in a for a game purpose or for profit in a way that maybe hadn't been able to have that conversation with with children before Mm -hmm. Um, because there's a difference between hunting because your family needs it or it's how you provide for your community and like hunting for sport and hunting for game and now we're at a point where we just don't stand for it anymore which is one of the reasons why i think this movie actually really really still stands up to time mm-hmm. um, and, and talks, especially because there's so many Americans that go to other countries um, and and just kind of savagely lay waste to um, an animal population. And I'm glad that we're moving on from it, but I think we need to continue fighting that in so many different ways. And Disney is really good about that because of Animal Kingdom and stuff. They have a really great uh, wildlife preservation fund um, that you can donate to online or you can donate and get a free pen when you're at Animal Kingdom. It's really great. And so it's, you know, for all the faults Disney has, and Disney has a lot of faults as a company that I love more than anything. um, You know, it's something I do approach. Now, talking about faults of Mm -hmm. Disney, there's something that I found that I think 
Uh, also, because where we are in theater and film and casting, I think this is a really pertinent conversation. Um, so I normally end near the, you know, kind of the, the, the last third of an interview process. I talk about how the movie stacks up in 2019 and 2020. And honestly, I would say the movie's not super problematic in in many ways. I don't I don't see anything that's like blazingly off or blazingly yeah. like, oh god, this is gross and misogynist, other than Mc, McLeish, but like but he's that's who he's supposed to, to be. And and Jack is supposed to be that machismo every man to, to like set Bernard apart. And so those mm-hmm. two things I'm like, you know, it's not bad. But while I think this is a funny and gorgeous story, during my research I found out something very interesting. Oh my gosh. That while they developed the script, the writer and director were very passionate about Cody being played and portrayed as an Aboriginal boy, a Native okay. Australian. Yeah. And then the company flat out said he has to be American, he must be white, and he must be blonde. But no why? one is they literally said no one is going to care about this character if he is not uh, white and he is not blonde. That's awful. I just we that's, now I mean, we're at a point where we're yeah. calling that nonsense out now. Like we, we're at the point where we have to call this shit out. Absolutely. And and this is also part of a lot of like Katzenberg made a lot of really shitty like really shitty calls and like a lot of the things he did in Little Mermaid and then how he treated Howard Ashman's legacy on Aladdin mm. which to me con- directly connects with a lot of homophobia and an HIV paranoia this is just something that like I can't do anything but roll my eyes at this because that character of Cody when you really think about it it's like an American white kid in the middle of Australia's outback and he's a little he's a little tan but like but I mean for for just to like think about it like being in that climate we I traveled to different areas that were like um super I guess it was considered north I'm so bad at geography so (laughs) don't drag me um but like where we were it was so hot and it was an area that was very much populated by descendants of aboriginal people and like, you would go out, and me and my white skin, you would go outside, and if you weren't wearing something, you'd crisp up in, like, 30 minutes. It's, yeah. the, su- the sun is, so, I mean, obviously, you know, it's 20, what year? 2019, and, you know, there's no ozone anymore, but, like, it's just, the air is just so clear of pollution mm-hmm. that the mm-hmm. sun literally, like, hits you directly, and there's no <laughs> way that that little white boy would be so white. I would just erupt into flame. I think I'm so pale. Like, I sometimes I go to the parks and I go, I'm going to be bad. I'm not going to wear sunscreen today. Oh, I know. I know. It's so bad for me, especially because, like, you know, I just turn blotchy in five seconds and go, well, this is it. I'm dying. This is where I die. This is just, I'm... But you know, I am part I don't, of the ground now. <laughs> I am part of the ground now. I am transparent. Um, I don't... I I don't understand. There's nothing in the storytelling. There's nothing in the script where it says that the the color of Cody's skin is going to be important to him. And honestly, I'm at the point of if we can represent non-white people, we should be representing non-white people. Yes, Especially to combat as much bullshit colonialism as happened with Australia, Mm -hmm. has happened with so many of the island countries, happened, I mean, we're, you know, we're having this conversation now of like, should we get rid of Columbus? And it's like, yes, we should get rid of Columbus. Keep the day off, but make it about something else. Give me that I love a day for shopping, but like, let's do something like, let's, 
you know, we need to we need to respect the legacy of the people who have been murdered and mm-hmm. just trodden over and have their country taken over. Because, like, it's still in a lot of these countries that the Native people still have no um, rights. They have, you know, they, they, the, the, oh, I, I mean, we could go into uh, everything, but that's kind of the point yeah, of what I want to talk about in the show. That's got grounds to have. Well, and because I don't, I don't, I, well, and I don't know as much yeah. about that, their culture and how their government has treated their people. Other than that, it was terrible. I just can look at it of how the, uh, the American government is still treating mm-hmm. our, our first nation people. Like I don't. And the fact that like, we're needing to have this conversation is like, white performers and white artists of like well I need an opportunity too and it's like girl sit down you've had enough opportunities yeah and they're still gonna and they're still gonna keep coming like they're not stopping right it's like that one character well two feasibly then because his mom also then could have been first nation and you know they should have because that's that idea of like that that's what they got and so like you know, you then have all of those other roles, which are all British voice actors or mm-hmm. American voice actors. There's always going to be plenty of work for everybody. And there's enough room I at just, the table. There's enough room at the table. And then we have the same conversation with Aladdin of like, I get that it's an animated film and you're like, well, anybody can voice it. But like, but not really. Not really. Like, not really. You're not telling your own story then. Yeah. And while his heritage doesn't come into play at all in the narrative just why not do it because then that's giving agency to the people whose story you're telling the, the story of the land you're telling and they're oh, yeah. the people and they're just the people doing that a, know it well and just doing a little bit of research back with like national geographic and things they were the people people who are fighting the poachers Ugh. they're the people who yeah. are fighting against their you know their lands being destroyed so like i just don't understand why when you can make a smarter choice, mm-hmm. why not just do it? Especially because, like, a child actor isn't particularly talented and you're going to get the reads out of them that you are. And yeah. you're going to, you know, you're able to get them to do certain things and they're going to do a great job. Why not give that opportunity to to someone who could have used it? I, yeah. You can't you can't tell me that even in 1990 that we're not First Nation kids in Australia who were actors. Absolutely. Or who wanted to be actors. Absolutely. Like, that's also an opportunity, you know visibility is important because so so I, I told this story on the Little Mermaid episode but you know when I went to Disneyland we went and saw Frozen at the Hyperion which is their like short Frozen show mm-hmm. and the Elsa I saw was African American and there was a little girl that sat behind me and went mommy she looks like me oh my and god it and yeah and that was the thing and as I was like as a person who always sees himself represented on stage mm-hmm. you know whether it's the color of my skin or even with like queerness sometimes but like as a plus size person I don't necessarily but like you know, I there's always whiteness on stage, and we're always the like default. Yes, and so like absolutely, if you can just cast other people and have give visibility, why not do it? Like, and why in, not do and it? And in terms of, I mean, when it comes down to these huge conglomerate companies, they're they're always. I let, I would hope to think that they're thinking about like the greater good, but when it comes down to it, they're always thinking about the bottom line. They're always thinking mm-hmm. about money, mm-hmm. and I just. It's kind of like you're you're missing an opportunity to if you represent more people that other people can go and support and feel like they're represented on a stage or they're represented on a screen. You're going to gain more support from that mm-hmm. community than you may have had before, and and in turn more of a bottom line. Like, well, and I and you know I think we're also at a point where like we can talk about it and go, well, this is great, but then we're also Barbie didn't launch their like fully inclusive line until about four years ago. Yeah, and so we're just now seeing. 
seen Barbies that look literally like everyone. I saw um, this beautiful Barbie the other day who was an amputee, and I was like, yes, that's so cool. That's oh, oh, yeah, the, the newest, like, Barbie, like, BU fashionista line is so cool and beautiful well there's and there's another line too where you can play with different hair and you can play with different gender yeah yeah i believe it's hasbro's releasing the gender neutral dolls i saw where they can present that's amazing yeah and like i'm like i uh, identify as non-binary and so like for me that's really cool and that's not something that i make like a huge vocal part of my life and my identity because it's for me and not for everybody else but like i was that kid that loved playing with Barbies? I had a massive My Little Pony collection as a uh, child. I was always jealous because, of people who had but, My Little Pony. But let's be honest, I act like I still don't have a giant collection of My Little Ponies. Um, <laughs> but but like, so you know, great. it's one of the. Why not? They're so great. Um, but, you know, it's that thing of like, I always wanted to play with dolls, and there was this point, and action figures. I, I played with both. I like both because yeah. kids should just, again, kids should just be able to uh, play with toys. I love playing but I think, with trucks. Like, yeah. I thought that was cool. Your Barbie has to have have to be able to get somewhere some way, and that Corvette is expensive. Yeah, so and why not, not take practical. a 16-wheeler? I can fit all exactly. my stuff in there. Exactly. Skipper and all the girls can fit in the back. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Could you imagine the, the Barbie dream tractor? The Barbie dream trucker? I mean, tell me that doesn't sound great. Tell me that it's doesn't like Opti- sound amazing. It's, it's like Optimus Prime. The whole back falls out, and it's like a spa and a mini bar. Yeah, and and Barbie's like, like toot beep beep. Uh, I, <laughs> I love that. But, you know, I think they probably were also looking at the idea that they were like, well... The toy market is very Caucasian, and they didn't end up making any toys for this film. So, like, it's one of those things they made plush. They made a little bit of – it is so annoying. And I think, you know, we're we're in hindsight. This movie is 20 years old um, this year. Well, next year it's 20 years old. Mm -hmm. And – but I think we're at a point where we go, just because it was a different time doesn't mean it wasn't wrong. It just means we're at the now the point that we go, yes, it was a different time. Yes. But yes, it was wrong. Yeah, it was shitty and wrong. let's do better. Yeah. Let's keep doing better. Um, so, you know, I think we're also at a different point and we have to demand change because otherwise we're not going to be around much longer. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was in a meeting at school the other day and I was like, listen, if we have to continue to produce things where I never see a white person on stage for a couple seasons, because it means that like, we're giving people who deserve it the stage and giving like representation in a way it's like, that's fine. That's great. Let's do it. Yeah. Let us do it. Um, I, I think it's just something that it's important that we discuss and we go, yes, it's a great film, but the company can always do better. They make too much money to mm-hmm. not do better. They own too like, much of the world to not do better. Well, and it's like even when we talk about um, like when they do face casting at the parks, like mm-hmm. there is one like I see a Jasmine most of the time that is just a bronzed up white girl. Yeah. Or there was a while when I was there, the marketing Mulan who was in like a lot of official Disney marketing, she was white and they just drew eyeliner to oh make her God, look Asian. No. And it's like, it's like we have so no. many actors so, and also so many people that are like searching for work that are really good and probably yeah. better than them. You know, like, yeah. Well, and you have like at that point where it's even like with Wreck-It Ralph this year where like they lightened Tiana's skin just a little bit because it was the digital composite and it was a little different. Oh, but then that meant yeah. that like, oh, they started hiring lighter skinned actresses to play Tiana at the parks. And like, while they're all really incredible, it's like you just don't need to do that because then you're limiting, you know, if you only have two named roles for women of color mm-hmm. like for a black woman at your park 
why are you going to like why are you doing that make her more white passing yeah it's yeah. just things and it's you know it's I've always really enjoyed doing being great with Tiana because the few girls they have are really great and now over in um in Galaxy's Edge, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, there is a rebel uh, uh, a spy that you can meet named Vi, who is African American, and she is an amazing person. Uh. And she's always she's always sneaking around and trying to evade um, stormtroopers and Kylo Ren. And so, like, she'll you'll look, turn around, and she's just standing right behind you, hiding. And it's such a cool oh, awesome. experience. But they took that opportunity to create an original character who is African American, which is then creating more roles and things. And so, you know, it's just one of those things. And we have Moana now, who I'd love to. Mm-hmm. You know, as more of a meet and greet character and you know it's we're doing better but I think we can always continue to ask for people to do better oh yeah we, and we're I'm, just at that point and there's so much space for it and there are so many more stories to tell that are really interesting and um, groundbreaking stories that haven't even been told yet and I think Disney's a great opportunity to do them and mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. bring them to younger audiences that you know can can see hope in that you know they can be represented and Mm -hmm. and then older people that are like you know in their 50s thinking I've never been able to see a black princess and now I'm finally seeing Mm -hmm. one Mm -hmm. you know and so I can I can die knowing that at least it exists you know so right well and also like I always love when I see little girls walking around the parks in like Jasmine costumes or in Tiana costumes or seeing little boys in any of the dresses I love it because kids only learn to talk about race in negative context when the adults in their lives mm-hmm. teach them that they need to talk about it that way. Yep. Because, like, I think it's really amazing. Tiana was, like, the first business owner out of all the Disney princesses. Yeah. Like, she represented so many amazing things. Why would I not want my child to see really brilliant amazing things in her or like Jasmine stood up for her entire country yeah. Mulan fought for her whole country mm-hmm. Pocahontas is the first like uh, um, environmental rights activist and like <laughs> and, and, I mean well and as, as much as they really altered her story I don't yeah. For children, I think they should be allowed to see themselves in whatever character they see themselves in because it's going to teach them all the right things of how to project and, like, be a strong hero for their communities and the people around them and how to speak up and be be different. And I think that's really, really cool. And yeah. also, we have... The thing that I still do like with Cody is we hadn't had a kid, like a little kid, that did the brilliant things that this little boy did. Like, he was daring. Mm-hmm. He 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 was doing everything he could to save that bird and her chicks. Yeah. Like, that that is so cool. Like, that was just, his first thought when he got freed, that mm-hmm. it wasn't to go home and tell mom that I'm okay. It's, I need to go save the chicks. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of like he knew what his his duty was in life. He had a very mm-hmm. strong sense of purpose, and um, which was cool because you don't get that a lot with child characters. Um, so, you know, it made it more. It wasn't about him. It was about what he could do. Well, and in 1990, we would have never thought about having child activists. Like, that's just mm-hmm. so beyond us. But, like, watching it now in 2019 in, like, the age of Greta Thunberg oh, and, gosh, all the, yes. and all the Parkland kids who have been, who are literally going into politics at 20 years old and doing brilliant things with their privilege yeah. and, and their mm-hmm. status to, like, bring about. And so, like, I really think Cody has a really cool place in this kind of Disney pantheon and whether people respect this movie or not, I think they should go back in and watch it and show it to their kids because, like, yeah, it's a little scary, but, like, honestly, 
inspire your kids. Give your children whatever tools they need to succeed, to save the planet because we've ruined this planet for them Mm -hmm. and we've ruined things. And like, and when you have 15 year olds going, I would rather be in school right now, but you fucked up. So I've got to be here to save this. Yeah. Yeah. Like, come, like, come on. And so I think that's one of those things where, um, I don't see, you know, other than knowing about the Cody casting, which that, you know, that's just us demanding, but like going about it otherwise and just looking at what's on film. Yeah. I it's think like, this what can film, we, what good can we take out of it now? Cause the, it's in the space. We have it. Yeah. So what good can we do with it? And it, it has so much potential and kids are not like, you know, so many people can be like, Oh, kids are dumb. Like they won't pick up on it. No, they, they soak it in they like take it in so they take details in because they have nothing mm-hmm. they have no inhibitions there's nothing blocking their brain to say you know to to have too much critical thought one way or the other they take mm-hmm. the information in and they take it as is and mm-hmm. um and it's and if they're given an opportunity to see oh what this man is doing is bad because he's hurting the world and he's hurting nature and and animals mm-hmm. um and there's one boy that, you know, there's one child, I, you know, I think a boy or a girl could look at this and be like, I could do that mm-hmm. too. Maybe not mm-hmm. to that degree, but like I yeah. can help too. I can tell, no, put that, put that, um, plastic in the recycling bin. You know, mm-hmm. it's just one mm-hmm. like little ax. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also if you look at Cody with, uh, Ariel Bell and Jasmine, who are mm-hmm. the next, the ones around him. His story is really important with also their story of, like, Ariel is an explorer. Mm-hmm. Um, and Belle is, uh, you know, Belle is... An uh, intellectual. She's an intellectual. She's a philosopher. She's so intelligent. But she's also insanely brave and selfless. And then you've got Jasmine, who's a literal fighter. Mm-hmm. Um, and fights and tries to help her kingdom. That Like, you know, I think he really stacks up emotionally and just, like, message-wise with the rest of the Disney Renaissance and what was, was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it books end really nicely knowing that like Tarzan was nine years later, these two films go together really well yeah. and really beautifully. And I hope, I really hope Disney does something with this for the 20th anniversary next year. Um, because, you know, they, they always look for a way to, uh, you know, I don't want to say exploit, but get a little extra money out of everybody for something that's been around for a while. You know, every every five Put years, Little nostalgia. Mermaid just <laughs> punch that nostalgia bell um, <laughs> if this were YouTube. Um, and so, you know, I think it's really important. And I honestly think with their Conservation Act that they could do a really cool tie-in and I would love to actually see them do something with this at like Animal Kingdom oh yeah um, or something next year with with that with that release next next Christmas I think could be really really cool um so you know we're at this point where Disney has like 40% of all media rights (laughs) and they're rebooting all of their old properties and talking about how there was actually going to be another Rescuers movie in 1996. Oh, really? Um, and then Ava Gabor passed away. Oh. And so they, you know, they, they scrapped it and things. But what do you think? Either a reboot of the original or a new Rescuers film? What do you think? Live action or animated? Either one. Oh, I think live action would be cool. I think, I think they could be really cute. I think they could do something. I think... 
Because I think the, the coolest parts about the rescuers are all the unique ways in which they either get from point A to point B mm-hmm. or, um, you know, bring food to their uh-huh, like, uh-huh. like yeah. how they Pursuit. do. <laughs> uh, so I, th- I would love a live action version of that. I think mm-hmm. it would probably gross out a lot of people <laughs> because mice. But um, but I think that would be really really cute. And yeah. I I mean I'm kind of I'm I'm for like. I love re- a reboot, but I say, like, keep the classic as is, create a new story. Because there's so many stories that they could tell. Well, especially because Ava Gabor has passed away, so I would hate to see, have anybody else try and step in and, like, replicate yeah. her Bianca. But, you know, I said we come back to it, Bob Newhart's still alive, and he is much older, but, like, voice acting doesn't require a ton of, like, stress on the body. No, true. What if it? What if it's, like... Bernard has is higher up in the rescue aid society now and there's this like oafish little mouse like tubby little mouse who like just wants to do good but he's not the best and so you know Bernard sends him out on a, a mission and we just need that little cameo of Bernard yeah. or what if it's Bernard's it, like daughter or something yeah oh da- yeah like what, yeah or like the whole thing could be Bianca's gone missing mm-hmm. and they've they're sending this other team of of rescue aid society workers out to you know find her what happened or all these things but I think um you know my group of friends that when we were watching talked about it they were like this could be a really cool Disney Plus series. Do yeah. 40, do little 30 to 40 minute episodes where each one is a different group of rescue aid workers through different points in time. Yeah. Um, really it could be really cute. And honestly, it's one of those. This was one of the first, the original rescuers and this one are the first Disney stories that are open ended, like super open ended where mm-hmm. they can just keep them going. And this universe is a really cool universe we're in. And like you said, where they've literally developed their society alongside human society by like being like the borrowers where they're just taking yeah. what they need mm-hmm. to develop this thing and they're living in the walls, but they have a really developed and dynamic society that parallels I mean it's the same universe that um, the great mouse detectives in like they kind of do the same yeah. thing and yeah 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 absolutely and that's what that's what I always liked when we uh, I recorded a great mouse detective episode that's going to come out in April and um, we talked about how like really I could feel like Dawson and that actually sets up the rescue aid society yeah like it's it's those things are connected totally, together totally um, and that's the thing is like if you've got that concept of the rescuers but the rescuers are all of the people in the rescue aid society and that's their official title is rescuers that like I think mice going to help human children in need could be utilized in really beautiful yeah, ways yeah it could be really sweet um Cause like, you know, dealing with the idea of like what it's like to be in a foster family who doesn't love you mm-hmm. as an orphan child. And then a, a child like Cody, who is so independent and so vibrant, um, that wants to save his world. It could be a really cool aspect of like a furthering education. That's not just a kid's show, but it's one of those things, or, you know, it could be a string of fine, you know, franchisable movies that I think would be really, really nifty. You know, Stuart Little worked out really nicely. So mm. like. True. And who doesn't want to see cute little mice in clothing? Like, come on. Oh, I love it. Um, but yeah, I just think this is one of those that I go, yeah, let's keep going. Yeah, like, I agree. Like, I know they use Josh Gad for everything, but I feel like he'd be a really cute little mouse. Oh, he's so great. 
Kristen Bell would be a cute mouse. Mm-hmm. You know, there are just so many that you could just, I feel like you could really tap in. Any of the Marvel folks would be really great. Oh, oh no, no. Um, I think it'd be really interesting just to kind of tap that. into this idea of like uh, furthering. Oh, no, Matt, this, where did you This go? is one of the. Oh, I'm, there you I'm go. Here. Okay. <laughs> um, um, sorry, everybody. My, our, my interwebs isn't always very good, so uh, we, we cut out sometimes. But, you know, I think it's one of those things that they could actually use this to be a beautifully educational experience in a way that it doesn't feel like educational programming. Yeah. Um, and you can keep going without needing to always need the same actors every time. Um, and as much as I love Bernard and Bianca, there will never be another Bianca like Eva Gabor. No, there really so, won't be. So Even I like try someone that does do, an impression of it just wouldn't be the same. Yeah, it's not the same. That's why, like, I know there's been some rumblings about a, like, live-action CGI Aristocats, which I love. But, like, Ava Gabor's Duchess is yeah, just such like... a... Though, you know, it's one of those things that I'm like, you know what, I... That one I'd be fine with because I think we could find someone that like could beautifully do that. Like honestly, like a Gal Gadot as as Duchess, I think uh, she has that beautiful. She has that beautiful dialect. That's, yeah, it's, she it's, like purrs through her. Through she her does. Speaking. She does. It'd be it'd be so fun. But you know, this is one of those that I was like, let's not recreate. Let's keep going. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I think you could either do animated or do a combination of the live action CGI remakes like they have been, and just kind of keep doing that. And I think it'd be really really great and really fun and also just a really nice tool so that because sometimes Disney's looked at it as a lot of like superfluous entertainment mm. and when they take the big opportunities it doesn't always pan out right I think this could be a really nice opportunity for them absolutely yeah yeah well any other thoughts about the movie M that we haven't covered that you just thought jumped out at you um I just love Frank the little lizard Oh, Frank. A breaks through. Frank, aren't we, aren't we all a little Frank at the end oh, of the day? Oh, like we're <laughs> That's, yeah, there were just the, 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 the little animal friends, Cody's animal friends, and then we meet the other animal friends in, in McLeach's, and they're just so fun. What I think is funny is that koala, the, like, the, like, um, the, like, uh, bitter koala man oh, so that's the that whole section where he's like you'd be a purse i was like oh, <laughs> well that's the uh that's the voice actor of the sultan and aladdin and i just I think that's that very down. funny I, thought, I, like, <laughs> I just yeah I, I i just think it's really i think it's really interesting and i would encourage all of our viewers hopefully i hope you all go back and revisit these films but this is one that like Oh, you Disney Plus, Disney Plus is out by the time this this episode's going to air, and I, I have really high hopes for Disney Plus, and I know this is one of the films that's on it. So, like, you're paying for it. Just go watch it. Oh, it's You'll so really, good. really like it. Yeah, and I would love for you all to engage us on Instagram, on our YouTube page, and on Ooh. our email to send us what you think, and we'll do a couple episodes where we just kind of go through the DMs and kind of talk about everybody's thoughts and, and things. But, Emily, thank you so much for being on the show with oh, me. I've had such a wonderful time. Too. First podcast number one that I've ever done. Really? Yes. I'm shocked by that. You so, are in my first podcast. I mean, I listen uh, to them constantly, including yeah. yours, but... I mean, I feel like, you know, that this happened to me about a year ago. It was on my first podcast, and then here we are yeah. a year later with my own. So, like, go. I feel I can see this in your future. Oh, I can um, too, honey. But <laughs> you are already a content creator, so yes, why don't I you am. tell the kids a little bit about more about your YouTube channel and where they can find you? Well, my YouTube channel is under Emily Martinez Entertainer, um, and it is... I call it the home of the forever theater kid where I make content about uh, lifestyle and advice for people who want to be actors. So I try to go 
about the ins and outs of theatrical life and what that's all about. I talk about cruise ship life. So I have a lot of like tips and tricks there, but a lot of it is really just, I bring you along on what the life of an actor is and it's the ups, the downs, the good, the bad, and the weird. And, you know, I'm just getting through it one step at a time and hoping that I'm encouraging and empowering others to live as authentically as possibly as possible and just so that they can live a beautiful life. And that's kind of my main goal. If I can inspire one person, like I feel like I've done my job. And, um, yeah, and I bring that through my Instagram as well, especially through body positivity and just Mm -hmm. really loving or going on this journey of finding out what loving yourself really means. And Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean it's all like sunshine. And I, I, on Instagram, I try to be as transparent as possible where I'm like, uh, hi, I'm having anxiety attack today. This is my face. Like, it's not all like this is, this is just a moment in time that you see and it's not, you know, the beauty is not always there. You know, you have to have to have the dark, the light and shade for life. Mm So I really try to bring that through. So if anybody would like to follow me there, I'm at Instagram. I'm, uh, Emily Martinez official. I have Twitter and stuff, but I never go on it. Uh, so Instagram and YouTube are really my, my babies. Great. (sighs) Um, I really, so for anyone who doesn't know, Em, you and I met working on a production of Hair mm-hmm. two years ago now at uh, uh, Muhlenberg Summer Music Theater in Allentown, Pennsylvania, where you and both your husband Gabe are alumni of. Yes, we are. And um, something that I just, I really liked about the content you were creating um, at that point and why I kept following is because you are very honest about the highs, but also like the rejection Mm. and the rough days. And I think as someone who wants to be a theater educator, but also someone that like I'm, I'm in graduate school and I'm trying to help our undergrads, they're not always being told by like instructors at schools. Like that's, they, they, you, they just give in training programs, they just give you the high, like the best part of what it's going to happen. And what I really like about your content is that you show what the rough looks like yeah and you talk about how to get through it um and i think that's really really important especially because we are seeing an all-time high of people going into theater as performance theater as design theater Mm -hmm. as an art form as a career because we're finally getting through to people now that like you can have a really gorgeous career and not be on broadway Mm -hmm. you can have a really gorgeous career and and work in a theme park and it be rewarding or doing regional theater or working inside specific theater absolutely Um, uh, and so I think it's really important that you, because you're one of the few channels out there that I found that a lot of them are always just like, I'm going to keep going, where sometimes you're like, I'm having a bad day. And this is like, this sucks. Um, <laughs> well, I was yesterday, um, you posted about the, they just did the search for the next Roxy for Chicago. Uh-huh. And, and you submitted, oh, I know so many people who uh-huh. submitted for it. And they, and they finally released the people who are the semifinals, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And there are six women that have made it. And, but you were really transparent about what you were going to and what you were feeling but you were also like I'm going to keep going I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to keep submitting I'm going to keep going to auditions because that's what I have to do Um, and I think that's really really important and just could you give just a little blurb of maybe you know how some of those things that you you do when you're having that day and it's your 20th rejection in a couple weeks and what what is your kind of personal self-care routine well I always allow myself 
if if there's something in particular like the Roxy Hart or like any role, it would happen in high school, it would happen in college when there was like, I mean, especially in those times in educational theater where there's only one or two opportunities happening mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little easier now, especially that I'm 30 years old and kind of live life a little bit more. But, um, you know, I always allow myself time to mm-hmm. kind of grieve in a way, like kind of mm-hmm. grieve that, that, um, that amount of like my heart that I put out there because that's, I mean, when it comes down to it, auditioning and just being in the theater space at all, we're going on constant job interviews, but mm-hmm. in those job interviews, we're laying our hearts on the line and we're putting our dreams on the line. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a little different than going to, a job audition that you've been practicing and, and training for. And it kind of becomes a routine of, you know, what kind of questions they're going to ask you where in auditions, you're begging, the, you're begging for them to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. So you can be like, hi, this mm-hmm. is me. I'm not just 16 bars. So, um, I always mm-hmm. give myself a little bit of time. I, I've always said, I don't give myself more than 24 hours. And at this point in my life, I think even 24 hours is too much time just because I'm like, mm-hmm. I got to move mm-hmm. on. Like life is moving too mm-hmm. fast. So I always give myself a little bit of time. Um, if that means that's a night where I drink a bottle of wine and I'm like, I won't have anybody say anything about it. I won't have anyone say anything about it. Or I'll watch something on YouTube, uh, like a person on YouTube that like makes me laugh or, or Mm -hmm. I know I can just shut off for a little while or, um, or I'll, it kind of happened really nicely that this all happened with the Roxy Hart thing and I was able to go home for my niece's birthday party and Mm -hmm. I, I was, you know, at first you're like, Oh, I have to travel like two and a half hours to get to a place that I'll only be there for a little while. But the moment she saw me, it was like, I wasn't, I didn't think about anything else. So it's like just being able to disconnect yourself. I mean, sometimes I'll go into Sephora and get some free samples. That always makes me happy Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm because they won't question you go in there, Mm -hmm, (laughs) just go get a mm -hmm. sample of some perfume. And I actually think that's something really, that's really important for a lot of young actresses or actors um, to know that like both Sephora and Mac, especially in a large city, if you're visiting New York, they'll give you samples of things. You you want to try that that forty five dollar Max Studio Effect base, which I heavily recommend. Oh, yes. um, you know, but it's you know they will give you those things, and sometimes self care isn't expensive, and sometimes self care is facials and things. Yeah. But sometimes self sometimes self care is knowing when to take a step back and go. I need to allow myself to grieve. I yeah. need to wallow. I need to be shitty for a couple of minutes, Absolutely. and then I can keep moving forward. Yeah, um, like I mean, you know, I I try to stay away from. Um, old habits of being like, oh, Mm -hmm. that person's not good. Like, I had Mm -hmm, a moment mm -hmm. of that, and I was like, that's not helpful to anybody. That's not great. They deserve to be there as much as anyone else Mm -hmm. does. This just wasn't my time. Mm -hmm. So, like... And whenever I would hear someone else say something, I'm like, okay, like say what you need to say, let get get your piece, but, like, then cut it there. It doesn't need to continue. Because, um, you know, this might be one of those one of those girls opportunity that of a lifetime that they've been working so long to get. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. who am I or who is anyone to take that away from anyone? So to my young (laughs) artist out there, I know it's, uh, you know, I know it's really easy to go to social media immediately and just bitch and moan and get upset about things or get angry. But remember, remember most people forget to make their accounts private. Mm -hmm. And especially if you use that hashtag. 
Use that hashtag. What's Use that hashtag. You think you're being cute and witty. I'm so guilty of this. But like, you know, also as someone that does like theater hiring things, you go through social media, you look at like who people are as people. Um, and just remember that the negativity might make you feel better in that minute. But like when it comes down to it, it's not, not going to make end. you feel better in the long run. No. Yeah. And you'll have your time. Everyone who puts in the work and is destined for their time will get their time. Yeah. And a lot of times it's not when you think it's going to be. So, yeah, and it's not you when know, you're you expecting keep, it. So you just got to be ready for the ride and hope that you're holding on in the right hand grip. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, Em, thank you so much again for being on the show with us. I hope we'll do another one. And I really need to encourage everybody to go check out Em's content and follow her Mm because, like, Mm. it is is top notch. Well, thanks again. All right. Thank you, Matt. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Dollop and Dreams podcast. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Remember, we're an independent podcast, so your five-star ratings and thoughtful reviews help us move up in the charts. Now, if you like what we're doing, you can hop over to our Patreon and pledge just $2 a month to let us know you care and enjoy our programming and help us grow and improve the quality of each episode. And if you want to continue the conversation after today's episode, check out our page on Facebook to engage with other dreamers like yourself. Now, some exciting news. On February 8th, we will be having our first live social meetup at Aloha Islands Refreshment in Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom. So February 8th, check out our Instagram and our Facebook for more information there for our amazing event that is co-hosted by Motley Kingdom, who we pitched back in the first episode. Check them out as well. Until next time, dreamers, may your days be filled with dull whip and dreams.